Welcome to Curmudgeon's Corner for Saturday, September 4th, 2021. I'm Sam Minter, and there is no Yvonne Bo today. Um, so as you heard last week, if you were listening, uh, Yvonne is on an intense job search right now. And uh, yeah, that's taken all his energy. So he said he needed a little break. So we gave him a little break. Um, you know, I considered the usual thing where I, you know, uh, go to the curmudgeon's corner slack and see if anybody wants to co-host and you know i i just i wasn't feeling it this week so i was like okay i'm just gonna do a solo show um so as usual some of you guys i recognize are not going to be as into the solo shows um and so yeah if you don't like that then feel free to skip to next week it's okay i i i'm not gonna feel bad about that um and you know, I know I always start these things by saying it's going to be a shorter show because I'm talking by myself and I always end up going the full two hours or whatever. Uh, but this time I have some time constraints. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I'm not going to make any promises. But we'll see. Uh, agenda wise, I figure I'm just going to bop through a few different topics, uh, sort of lightning round style. Some of them may take me a little bit longer. Some may be really short. I don't know. And I'll, I'll, I'll take breaks every once in a while. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that, that's basically the plan. Uh, my son, Alex suggested that my dog Jetski be my co-host this time. And that while my son, whenever he's on, just wants to talk about himself and video games, that he was sure Jetski would happily talk about news and politics with me. Um, anyway, for now, it's just me. Uh, so uh, I, I I hesitate to even give you a list of topics that I'm thinking about talking about because I may change I may change it up as I go. Uh, so, <sighs> yeah. So let me let me start with one thing, sort of on the notion of the but first kind of thing that uh, uh, is just sort of a whatever. So, so I've been really tired lately. Like, I sleep theoretically a full night, I get up, I'm still tired, I work as best I can, I'm still tired, I'm, like, sneaking naps wherever I can, like, I fall asleep on the couch, uh, in the, in the, yeah, whatever, I'm just tired all the time, and I've, but there is a reason. Um, so some of you may know, because I think I've mentioned it on the show before, but, you know, not like every week or anything, that for many, many years now, uh, I've used one of these CPAP machines. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, you, you sleep with a sort of mask on your face and it blows air up your nose, uh, to sort of keep your airways open. Uh, and, uh, you know, for, for sleep apnea, which is basically where you, uh, you, you stop breathing periodically during the night. Um, I've never had a very severe case. Like I'm not one of the folks who they're like, you have to wear this every night or you may die in the middle of the night. Um, but, it was affecting my sleep quality and, uh, you know, and so they recommended I use this thing and I've been using it for a long, long time. Um, but I have one of these, uh, a, there's a recall. Uh, I have one made by Philips, uh, and they recalled a whole bunch of their machines. Uh, I guess, uh, came out in 
the the recall came out in July, June. I I don't know, but it it took me a while to be fully aware of it. Like I I heard something in the background and was like, ah, it probably doesn't affect me. Blah blah blah. I I eventually checked my model and it is affected. And basically, what they found is there's a component inside this thing related to one of the filters or something, where over time it can degrade. Or I guess it was actually the some of the padding they used to. Um, sorry, not a not a filter. It was it was really. It was related to some of the padding that's used to sort of dampen vibrations or something like that. Anyway, over time, it apparently de- degrades and can start, uh, you know, flaking off and getting into the the air path. And so you start breathing this stuff in and, um, yeah, maybe it can uh, help cause cancer, which is great, I guess. Um, and anyway, so they recommend that you stop using the thing if you can until they deal with the recall. And there's a place you can sign up uh, to, to, you know, give them your serial number. And so they can deal with the recall properly and blah, 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 uh, which uh, I haven't done yet, but uh, yeah, I'll do that very soon. But I did stop using the stupid thing. Um, And I can tell the difference. Like I, this whole time I've been using it. I was, I sort of was like, you know, I actually like the way it feels when I put it on. It helps give me like this clean, like I am now going to sleep because I put the thing on my face and, and you know, it, it's, it's sort of divides, it divides the day. I don't know. It, it makes it, it makes like a clear delineation. Like, uh, you know, I usually don't have a lot of trouble falling asleep, uh, every once in a while, but like, I'm one of these folks who can lie down and boom, I'm out. Uh, most of the time, but putting the mask on, uh, sort of made it even more clear. It's like, stop screwing around with your phone, stop doing various other activities. You're done. You're going to sleep. Boom. Um, but I always, all these years I've been using it sort of to myself said, yeah, yeah, I, I like how it feels. I like using it, but do I know it made a difference? Does it really change anything? I don't know. But like, you know, stopping using this thing for a couple weeks, I feel the difference. Like I just feel tired more. And I feel like the, when I do sleep, I don't get as much out of it. And uh, I keep thinking, you know, I, I know it like, you know, I know they recalled it and I know the reasons why, but I want to use it. And of course, like, you know, I'm not as good as I'm supposed to be. Well, <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not as good as I'm supposed to be on cleaning the damn thing. The reality is I barely ever clean the thing, except when I like replace the parts uh, when they send me new ones. Uh, So I'm probably breathing in all kinds of horrible, toxic things anyway with this thing. Uh, But anyway, I don't know. I, I just wanted to mention I've been tired. And I, apparently there's a, you know, a, re, a causal reason that I can actually point to. Uh, so I'll get on like figuring out what I have to do. Like apparently like people are complaining with this recall that they're excessively long delays and getting replacement equipment or getting whatever fix they're providing and people are going without and having trouble with that. And, you know, for, for the people who are more seriously affected, it's a bigger deal. And, you know, and to be clear, their recommendation is like, look, if, if this is a life-saving device for you, like if you need this to the point where there are serious medical problems that will occur immediately, if you're not using it, well, keep using it. But, uh, yeah, annoying, annoying. 
Anyway, that that was my first thing. I yeah, I'm sure no one really cares, but yeah. Okay, so uh, moving on, moving on, moving on. I'm gonna uh, gonna stick with uh, some light stuff for a bit before I turn to the more serious things, of which there are a bunch. Uh, you know, there's the SCOTUS stuff with abortion. There's pandemic stuff. There's Afghanistan. There's the hurricane. Blah blah blah. I don't know how many of those I'll get to, but you know, yeah, I will get to the more serious stuff. Uh, but but first, a movie. Uh, it's Tora Tora Tora. It, it, it's a movie from 1970. Uh, as I usually do, I'll read the sort of Wikipedia summary. Um, or no, I won't. It's got too many names I can't pronounce. No. Yeah, I, I can do this. Um, uh, Tora 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 is an. 1970 epic war film that dramatizes the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941. The film was produced by Elmo Williams and directed by Richard Fleischer, Toshiro Masuda, and Kinji Fukasaku, and stars an ensemble cast including Martin Balsam, Joseph Cotton, Soya Marmura, E.J. Marshall, James Whitmore, Ta Tatsuya Mish... <laughs> uh, Mihashi, uh, Takehiro Tamura, Wesley Addy, and Jason Robards. It was Mashuda and Fukusharu, Fukusaru's first English language film and first non-Japanese film. The Torah of the title is the two-syllable Japanese code word used to indicate that complete surprise had been achieved, Japan being a, Japanese being a language with many homophones. It is a coincidence that Torah also means tiger. Um, okay. So epic war movie sort of a classic I, I don't know i don't know like apparently it didn't get like a lot of really super good reviews when it came out um you know uh roger ebert also i'm still from the wikipedia page roger ebert felt that tora 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 was one of the deadest dullest blockbusters ever made and suffered from not having some characters to identify with uh, he criticized the film for poor acting and special effects Blah, blah, blah. Other people were unimpressed. Blah, blah, blah. Negative reviews. Uh, they did like the action scenes and, uh, you know, aviation and history people liked it, apparently. Uh, you know, this is one of the things where my memory is when I was young, you know, back in the days of television that was live only on your little rabbit ear television that you, you flipped the channels on manually because you didn't even have a remote control, uh, maybe slightly past that point, um, that this is one of those things that every once in a while, late at night, you'd be flipping channels and you'd see part of this. You'd come in in the middle somewhere and you would stick around and watch some because there's nothing else on. Um, and so I feel like this is something where over the years I'd seen bits and pieces of it. Uh, but I don't think I'd ever seen it all from beginning to end. Um, uh, I, I'll, you know, I'll give it a thumbs up. Um, this was, I liked it. I mean, I, I hear these people saying it was slow and plodding, but I actually thought that was part of what gave it some level of intensity because it was sort of slowly building tension of 
you know, hey, this thing is building up. It's going to happen. Uh, you also they they highlight a few areas where you know there uh, there might have been ways to turn aside or avoid some of this or whatever. Um, which obviously the the weight of history was not going that way. But it, it sort of what was the you know the tragedy of the whole thing, right? You know, and and that, but and and. I liked it. What can I say? I, I mean, yes, it was slow. Yes, the, you weren't identifying as particular characters. It almost feels like a documentary, but you know it's not. You know it's dramatized. You know there are bits and pieces here, and you know they're trying to make. Uh, yeah, it, it's not a straight up documentary, but it it has the feel of a documentary in some areas, and um, yeah, I, I mean. I, I feel like, you know, am I being generous with the thumbs up? Could I be a, could it be a sideways? Maybe, but I liked it. I, I, what can I say? I mean, it was long, you know, uh, there were parts of it, you know, where you're reading subtitles and it's fine. I, I, I like, I liked it. What, what, what could I say? You know, Hey, um, <laughs> uh, okay. Torah, 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 thumbs up. Uh, it is a long sort of classic ish movie, um, worth seeing. And with that, let's take a break and then we will come back with a few of our more theorious, theorious, theorious. Uh, <laughs> we'll come back with a few more serious topics back after this. Do, do, do. Hello. This is Kimberly standard. I'm here to let you know about Sam the Curmudgeon's other podcasts, the Wiki of the Day podcasts. Wiki of the Day comes in three varieties, popular, random, and featured. Each highlights a new Wikipedia article each day, they just pick the articles differently. This week on Random Wiki of the Day, you would have heard this summary for Wang Bixing. Wang Bixing, Chinese, Pinyin, Wang Bixing. Born March 10, 1985, is a Chinese long-track speed skater, specializing in short distances, 500 meters and 1,000 meters. Wang first competed in 2003. However, her breakthrough came in the 2004-05 season, winning several times in the World Cup B Group and competing in the A Group. At the World Single Distance Championships she surprisingly won silver. She appeared to be a medal candidate at the 2006 Winter Olympics in Turin. However, here she disappointed with a 7th place at the 500 meters and a 29th at the 1000 meters. In January 2009, she won the World Sprint Championships, the first Chinese woman to do so since Yi Kuiobo in 1993. She won the bronze medal in the 500m sprint at the 2010 Vancouver Winter Olympics. She was formerly coached by a retired Canadian Olympic medalist and former world record holder Kevin Overland. That's it. See? Fun, entertaining, and educational, right? Okay, now look for and subscribe to the Wiki of the Day family of podcasts on your podcast playing software of choice. Or just go to wikioftheday.com to check out our archives. Now back to Curmudgeon's Corner. Do do do. Their co-host is here. Um, you know how I mentioned that Alex wanted our dog Jetski to co-host 
I was hoping to record all this before they woke up, but no. So my dog is here. Hi, Jetski. What do you think about the Supreme Court ruling on abortion? I think I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. Um, what do you think about the final withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan? Um, same thing. Um, what do you think about the current news and developments on the pandemic? I haven't been looking at that. And what do you think about the effects of Hurricane Ida as it passed through the United States from Louisiana all the way up through New York and New England? Um, I haven't been looking at the weather either, especially not in other places. Well, that was a successful co-hosting adventure for Jetski. I guess I'll continue on with a solo show. No, you won't. You'll continue with Jet Ski still. So what we're going to do is this segment is going to be Jet Ski's introduction lightning round. Dude, I, I've only got 45 minutes to finish what I'm going to do for real before I have to leave with mom. No, so this I need is your Jet Ski's lightning round. This is Jet Ski's lightning round. Okay, Jet Ski, go. No. Jetski has to introduce. Well, you have to introduce him. This is Jetski, who's lying down on the floor next to me, not saying anything. Hi, Jetski. Properly introduce him. Say stuff about him. Jetski is my dog. He's over 100 pounds. He's three years old. Almost three years old. And? And he he apparently has lots of opinions on news and politics. So? So? I don't know. I don't know what you want me to say. So he's gonna help you with your show. Oh, so he's gonna help me with my show. Yes. Yes. That's treat. Yes, I'll get you some if you pay attention to Dad. Okay, dude. Well, I'm sure. Close the door on the way out. No, no, dude. Sorry, I gotta get this done. Okay, after that little interlude, it's time to get more serious. And I guess the only place to start uh, is with the Supreme Court. No, not YouTube. We're going to talk about SCOTUS and abortion and all of the different implications that come from that. Um, what, is, what is there to say? Uh, look, Texas 
a while ago, and I don't I don't even know if we mentioned it on the show. I know it came up on our Commudgeons Corner Slack a while back, passed a new anti-abortion law that was specifically designed uh, to get around judicial review in a variety of ways, basically by saying nobody related to the state government would have any part whatsoever in enforcing this law. Instead, they were granting the ability to private citizens to sue people for aiding, abetting, or even thinking about helping somebody to get an abortion. Uh, and they would allow these people to sue, uh, you know, in civil court for up to $10,000, etc. And so this mechanism made it so that the usual way of appealing these things through the court system uh, didn't work as well, because usually when these kinds of laws would be put into place, uh, there would be a stay put on the law. Somebody would say, this is going to hurt me. Let's uh, enjoin the authorities from actually enforcing this law until it can be appealed all the way up and down the, the court system uh, because we think it's unconstitutional. But here there's nobody to enjoin because it's all private citizens doing lawsuits, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, uh, you know, an emergency request went up to the Supreme Court to block it, uh, and they chose not to. There was basically a one-paragraph thing from the majority saying, you know, hey, there are a lot of novel issues here. It's premature for us to get involved. Let's see how it plays out. Um, the minority, the, the liberals on the court plus John Roberts were basically like, no, look, there's serious implications here that we should be looking at. Um, and we should stay this, but nope, uh, it was, the law was allowed to go into effect. What this has done is multifold. There are many implications here of this. First of all, um, in response to this law going into effect, abortion clinics across Texas basically shut down. The, the law says, uh, um, you can't get an abortion, uh, past six weeks of pregnancy, uh, which is basically, uh, before most people even know they're pregnant. Uh, and it's something like 85% plus of abortions happen after that time period. Um, and so, it has suddenly become essentially impossible to get an abortion in Texas. Uh, so, you, you know, people have to go out of state. But effectively, uh, you know, this means that the the sort of mechanism envisioned in Roe versus Wade uh, is out the door. Uh, the whole, uh, you know, they divided things into trimesters and basically guaranteed that, uh, a, a abortion could be accessible for the first two trimesters, uh, easily. So in the first one, a little bit more restrictions in the second and lots more restrictions in the third. Um, and so people, exp by the way, there's a case coming up in the fall that directly, uh, will allow the court to potentially overrule Roe versus Wade. Um, they may still do exactly that. But what they've done here is something which has the same effect or almost the same effect as explicitly uh, reversing Roe versus Wade without actually having to do it. Um, and, and, you know, and instead effectively just having it happen by inaction. And, in the same time, giving a roadmap to all kinds of other states to do the same thing. I've now heard at least Florida and South Dakota uh, considering doing exactly the same thing as Texas did because the Supreme Court basically said, hey, this this method of uh, making sure that you can just do this uh, is 
you know, works for us. I, I mean, I guess technically there will still be additional points of potential appeal through the courts, et cetera. Uh, once the first lawsuits actually start coming in through this, um, but the court has basically signaled where it probably is going to be on those kinds of things. Um, and, it, it, and it's a mess. Uh, and this is, this goes back to people saying a long time ago, you know, look, 2016 was the game. One thing you've heard over and over again, uh, in the last few days since, uh, this happened was, Hey, the, you know, the alarmists about the Supreme court, guess what? They were right. And I know even on here, you know, we've heard, you know, Yvonne has said multiple times, you know, look, you know, they're, they're not going to just flat out do it. Well, you know, they didn't flat out do it at least yet. Um, but they've done things that have the same effect. Um, effectively now the abortion decision is back with the States, um, you know, and so you're going to have, uh, severe, um, abortion restrictions in huge swaths of the country. Now, honestly, we were already there, you know, there were, you know, restrictions were so tight in, in lots of places already that you effectively had to leave the state. But now it's Texas, which is the second most populous state in the country. This just gives us a picture of where this conservative majority court really is. Um, you know, there, there earlier in the year, there were a few cases where we were saying, hey, look, they actually voted with the liberals and surprise, they allowed this to stay. Um, yeah, I think it's it's becoming clear that that's, you know, okay, one or two things here or there. Um, but, you know, this court is going to be a conservative court. Duh. And it's going to, uh, you know, make it really difficult, uh, for, for Democrats in terms of getting any of their, of protecting any of their priorities, uh, for generations. Now liberals have had the mindset of the court as a protector of the court will help with some of these rights related things and will protect them so that, you know, the, the, you don't have to do it through the legislative process because the court will take care of you. The court will protect things. Um, that era is over. Um, and so, you know, there's some talk of, oh, okay, well we could legislate Roe versus Wade. Uh, and this is something that's been talked about for a long time. Of course, they never got around to doing it any of the various times in the last 40 years that the Democrats, uh, have had the ability to do so. Yeah. You know, and so could you, there's something in the, in the, in Congress right now that they're promising, oh, we'll vote on that in the next few weeks. Uh, that would basically take the, the, take the scheme envisioned by Roe versus Wade and write it into law. Okay, a few problems with that. As, you know, in in theory, it sounds good. In reality, you may not even have 50 Democratic votes for that, but let's assume you did. Let's assume you did have the 50 Democratic votes in the Senate. You cannot break the filibuster on that. You are not going to get to 60 votes. You do not have 10 pro-choice Republicans in the Senate. And 
are you going to break the filibuster for this? I've honestly said that this is one of the things I could see potentially breaking the filibuster uh, is if Roe versus Wade was eviscerated and it was clear that uh, you know abortion r- abortion rights were uh, at stake all across the country. That that is something that maybe 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 for that the Democrats could decide that it was worth ditching the legislative filibuster over. But I think it's kind of clear at this point that, you know, if, if Manchin and Cinema aren't going to vote, aren't going to move on the filibuster over voting rights, I'm not sure they're going to over abortion either. Um, and for some of the same reasons, uh, you know, they've made their position very clear. Does this change anything? I don't think so. Um, you know, if the, if the Democrats had 54 in the Senate instead of 50 and Manchin and Cinema weren't the swing votes, then maybe something like, you know, massive abortion restrictions in Texas and other states, uh, would be enough to have them kill the filibuster and push through, uh, you know, nationwide abortion, uh, legislation that basically says the states can't legislate this. This, this is the nationwide structure for this, but I don't think we're there. The Democrats just aren't strong enough to do it. Um, and which, which ties to, you know, the larger topic. There's an editorial um, in the September 3rd Washington Post, um, an opinion piece. Uh, I'm, of course, looking online. I say it as if there really are the September 3rd Washington Post versus the 4th versus whatever. Anyway, there's an opinion piece uh, published September 3rd in the Washington Post by Paul Waldman. Uh, titled The Harsh Truth of This Moment, Republicans Understand Power, Democrats Do Not. Um, And I think this is a theme. We've talked about it before on this show. Um, But I recommend folks go read that uh, opinion piece uh, because I think it, it, it points out something that is an important difference between the parties. Right now, the Democrats have the White House and the Congress, but you, you can barely tell because, you know, they're not able to sort of push through their agenda. And yes, earlier in the year, we got this big relief package related to COVID and, uh, you know, looks maybe infrastructure will go through that's still frankly on the line. Um, but you know, examples given by Waldman here, just starting off right now, I mentioned infrastructure. Joe Manchin proclaimed his intention to sabotage the agenda. If the infrastructure stuff isn't drastically pared back, unless somebody thinks it's too partisan. And that's the, that that's the second part of the infrastructure the reconciliation bit with all the human stuff. Um, and meanwhile, you know, uh, Republican run states are, you know, uh, making it easier to carry guns. The school boards and election boards have, you know, are, are, are doing all this anti-mask stuff in various places, anti-vaccine, you know, just all the stuff. They're, they're 
the voting rights stuff is happening all across the country. And the Supreme Court is like, sure, that sounds fine. Um, and Waldman's main point is here, here's, I, I, I don't want to just be reading from stuff, but here's what he says. We're seeing what a profound difference there is in how Democrats and Republicans view power. When Democrats have it, they're often apologetic, uncertain, and hesitant to use it in any way that anyone might object to. Republicans, on the other hand, will squeeze it and stretch it as far as they can. They aren't reluctant. They aren't afraid of a backlash. Whatever they can do, they will do. Uh, You know, Democrats are often like, we'd like to move forward, but what can we do? This is how democracy works. And meanwhile, (laughs) the Republicans... um, react to obstacles by getting creative. They're searching for loopholes. They engineer procedural workarounds. They devise innovative ways to seize and wield control. When they come up with an idea and someone says, that's madness. No one has ever dared try something like that before. They know they're on the right track. Um, and I think this is, we've definitely seen this. I mean, and the, the hesitancy of the Democrats to use all the tools potentially available to them has been a recurring theme. Um, when the Democrats first took over the house uh, a couple years back, uh, you know, I was here practically every show tearing my hair out, tearing my hair out about how slow they were going with investigations and how much deference they were giving the Trump administration and all of this kind of stuff. Um, and, and even now, like, you know, It comes, and even now, they seem to still have not fully internalized this lesson. There was a brief period at the beginning of the Biden administration where they did push through uh, on a party line basis that um, that COVID relief bill. That seems like aha, they know how to play the game now, and then. We entered months and months and months of negotiation with the Republicans on infrastructure. And maybe it'll bear fruit. I got to give Biden and company credit for how far they have actually gotten on this. But we're not quite at the finish line yet. We'll see how it goes. You know, it doesn't feel like the Democrats recognize the full danger that they're in right now. They're like, we've talked about this with the voter rights stuff. Uh, We've talked about this with the courts. Uh, Just generally speaking, the Republicans are setting themselves up for the next bit. And the Democrats are still trying to play nice, still trying to respect the norms of how things were supposed to work. And a lot of this, you know, comes from Biden, comes from the top. He really, I believe he really is a true believer in, hey, let's get it. it, The most important thing is to get back to normal and to get back to the world where Republicans and Democrats can work together to do things and blah, blah, blah. And he's emphasizing that. Uh, And 
I think it's just wrong. Um, and we're, we're gonna see trouble for it. I mean, I, 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 just to back up a little bit, like the gloom and doom view of things, which is mostly where I am, to be frank, is that the Republicans are going to use their, their advantage in states where they control state legislatures to take as much control of the election process as possible, especially in sort of purplish states that have been red, that are trending blue, to delay that flip from red to blue uh, as long as possible, uh, push it out another decade through redistricting, and, and use that to take back the House, uh, use that to continue to push extremely conservative uh, agendas in not only the deep red states, but also in purple states to try to fully entrench as much as they can for as long as they can. Like there may be demographic trends that are against them in the long run, but by clever use of redistricting, you know, not just at the, um, uh, con not just at the congressional level, but also for, uh, state house, state Senate, those kinds of things. Uh, make sure that they're going to retain power for a long time, uh, even once they lose the majority in terms of public opinion. Uh, and, and and they'll burrow themselves in. Um, and the worst case scenarios have enough states have being partisan enough that if we if if 2024 comes down to one or two close states that they can accomplish the kind of nonsense that Donald Trump tried and failed to do in 2020 um, with taking, you know, sort of marginal states uh, and trumping up, forgive the pun, uh, trumping up uh, uh, some sort of question about, is this legit? Is this not? And throwing those states in into dispute and, and, uh, because they have taken over the election mechanisms, being able to, hand those to the Republicans. Um, you know, now if they legitimately win, they legitimately win. But the concern case is when you've got these sort of close states and you use partisan nonsense to push it over one way or the other. That That's sort of the doom and gloom scenario is that Republicans are going to use all of these advantages to take over control of uh, one or both houses of Congress in 2022, and then the presidency in 2024, whether it's Donald Trump or DeSantis or somebody else, uh, and they're going to continue to make a royal mess out of everything uh, and, and, and move the country in a decidedly authoritarian direction, uh, trying to push us back to uh, sort of this 19... 50s vision of you know what America should look like um the counter to that that I have heard some people say is that doing this kind of thing it, like in Texas with the voter right stuff is just gonna get Democrats super mad and super engaged and out to the polls and actually cause a reversal of the normal trends so that you have, you, you don't 
have the Republicans taking over Congress in 2022. And in fact, maybe you get a, a you know, a blue wave um, counter sort of almost all the historical tendencies in off-year elections. But because the Republicans essentially overreach and cause a backlash. I don't know. I hope that's right. We'll see how things turn out. I, at the moment, I'm I'm in the pessimistic camp, but we got a long way to go yet. Uh, we got a long way to go. Um, so we'll see. I keep saying that, but I mean, what else can? Yeah, yeah, I mean, we'll 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 see. Um, in the meantime, people are also talking about: Is there anything that can be done uh, executive action wise for? Uh, the abortion situation in Texas and some of these other states. Um, I've heard people talk about sort of a federalized core of doctors that could provide abortion services, uh, you know, with some, you know, and, and have, um, have immunity because they're operating in their federal capacity. So they can't be sued for it, which takes, uh, you know, some of the, which takes most of the power out of the Texas law. Um, and get around the Hyde Amendment, which prohibits federal funding of this by also having a private funding mechanism for these doctors, even though they're acting in a federal capacity. It all sounds kind of Rube Goldberg-like to me, but this is the kind of thing where, going to what I said about the Democrats sort of utilizing what power they have and being creative, that's what you want to see, is like, let's actually have a fight. Let's try to do stuff uh, as opposed to, oops, well, you know, that's what it is. Eh. At the same time, I do want to have, I I, 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 I understand the Democratic pull your punches because I, I feel that way. Like it, there was that whole thing about uh, the back and forth on, um, on the eviction moratorium where the Supreme Court said, no. CDC does not have this authority. If you want to do this, it has to be done through legislative action. And they were pretty darn clear about that. And the Biden administration looked at that and at first consulted their lawyers and their lawyers were also like, yeah, that's pretty clear. The, the, you know, we can't do this. The, we ha we would have to do it through legislative action. And then Congress did nothing. And it expired and there was a lot of pressure on the Biden administration to do something. And so the Biden administration did an extension anyway. Uh, and you could see Biden himself when he did it was like, yeah, the courts will probably knock this down. We've got a, you know, a few lawyers that say they might not. Most of the lawyers say they will though. So, but we're, we'll just try it and maybe that'll give people a little, little bit of time and give them like a few weeks <laughs> before the court indeed struck it down and said, we met what we said. Um, you know, and, and I feel like the, oh, the, the Biden administration, uh, taking that action wasn't, was actually a bad precedent because they were clearly doing something they knew would get struck down and, I'm not sure that's the right way to go either, but at the same time, come on, be creative, be aggressive, do stuff. Um, you know, but I recognize reality at the same time, you know, I wish we didn't have cinema and mansion 
blocking everything right now. Cause that is effectively what they're doing. Uh, because I feel like the, there is enough danger here that the Democrats absolutely should be killing the filibuster. They should be um, doing court reform to put on, put in term limits on the court and add, uh, uh, you know, add justices to the court, whatever, you know, they should be doing things like that. They should be adding states. They should be being super aggressive to, to try to rebalance things uh, to, blunt the various advantages that Republicans currently have in terms of uh, being able to influence things disproportionately to their actual numbers. But that's not going to happen. So we'll see. Okay. Um, That went a little bit longer than I intended. Uh, let's take a, let's take a quick break. Let's take a quick break and see what else I have to talk about. I'm actually out of time. I, I, this is the time I said I needed to be done because I needed to move on to other things. I'm going to check in to see how much more time I really have back after this. Uh, Hi, hi, I'm here. Um, uh uh-oh. This is bad. Um, I don't have much time. Maybe I, I, I probably have plenty of time. But, but subscribe to Oxemzilla. It's awesome. I've been publishing two videos a day for the last few days now. And yesterday I actually managed to do three. Um, so... Subscribe to Alex Amzilla. Just forget Curmudgeon's Corner. Curmudgeon's Corner is stupid. Just forget Curmudgeon's Corner and Alex Amzilla. Do Alex Amzilla. Alex Amzilla. Alex Amzilla. Do it. Do it. Okay, I am back. Actually, you know, after I stopped there, my time actually had run out and I had to go do a few hours of stuff with my uh, wife's campaign for Snohomish County Council District 5. Um, but I'm back in between two events to try to really wrap this up real fast. And then I'm going out to more campaign stuff. So, so anyway, let's try to get a few quick topics in. Uh, I did want to talk a little bit about the pandemic and specifically just a little bit about masks. Uh, because, you know, once again, you know, last week I talked a lot about ventilation and how masks was sort of so politicized, you know, there's almost no point of talking about it because everybody's in their corners. Uh, but there were, you know, a, a few things uh, in in the last uh, week about masks. Uh, the first, I've seen a few people going around um, talking about um, how, you know, look, finally people are recognizing cloth masks are useless and, uh, you know, you really need a good mask. Okay. Now I actually, I actually said something similar to that last week. There is evidence. And we've actually said this on the show going back at least a year 
Like maybe not at the very beginning of the pandemic, but I remember sometime like last summer discussing this about how basically, look, it was fairly obvious that the better a mask you have, the better effectiveness uh, you're you're going to have. Um, and that, you know, cloth masks, not all that great. Um, N95s, pretty good. Medical, somewhere in between. Masks, cloth masks plus filters, somewhere in the middle of that mix somewhere. You know, and, and other variants, right? Um, and I think the, the, the key there, though, is... First of all, it's not like some people are saying if the only masks are N95s, then why would I bother? What's with the, you know, and, and I think this is, first of all, yes, you should be wearing the high quality mask if you can. And I, I still really, really, really don't get the resistance to masks. It just baffles me. Like, why wouldn't you? But cloth masks aren't completely useless. No. You can do better, though. And with all of these, there are the, the different measurements of effectiveness. And I mentioned this last week as well. But there's the how much does it protect the wearer? There is how, does, how much does it protect other people from the wearer? And there is how much does it help control spread if lots of people wear them? And those are three different things to look at. And I think what people get, what is frustrating is that people will take things on the first one. Does it protect the wearer? And be like, that's the whole story. And that's the smallest part of the story. Um, it was clear very, very soon after things started that cloth masks uh, were not particularly effective for protecting the wearer. They still helped with protecting other people from the wearer, but even then, better masks were better. But when you started to look at it in protecting other people from the wearer, cloth masks still were quite helpful. So from the point of view of protecting the wearer, yeah, I, I, cloth masks don't do very much. It, it just, they just don't. They do better at protecting other people from the wearer. Um, and I think the, I, I don't, I don't know the people who are like, I hadn't heard this message about cloth masks before. Where have you been? And I don't know. I know some people aren't paying really close attention, but the, this, this stuff about cloth masks was known pretty early. That's why there was a lot of the communication going around about how it wasn't to protect you. The mask was to protect the other person from you, because that was still a significant factor, even with only a cloth mask. Um, with all of these, it's still better with a better mask. Duh. Um, but the, the study that um, came out this week um, that sort of goes to the most important of these things, which is how does it control spread if lots of people are wearing masks? Um, show, showed 
duh, showed positive effects, okay? So here's um, one article summarizing it. Massive randomized study is proof that surgical masks limit coronavirus spread, authors say. Uh, This came out September, uh, the article came out September 1st. Uh, The Washington Post article is by Adam Taylor and Ben Guarino. Um, And one of the significant things about this study is it's one of the first uh, on masks that was done at scale, and randomized. Uh, the very nature of masking and masking mandates and all this kind of stuff uh, made it very hard to do a proper uh, randomized trial. So let me read the summary at the very top of this Washington Post article. The authors of a study based on an enormous randomized research project in Bangladesh say their results offer the best evidence yet that widespread wearing of surgical masks can limit the spread of the coronavirus in communities. The preprint paper, which tracked more than 340,000 adults across 600 villages in rural Bangladesh, is by far the largest randomized study on the effectiveness of masks at limiting the spread of coronavirus infections. Its authors say this provides conclusive real-world evidence for what laboratory work and other research already strongly suggest. Mask wearing can have a significant impact on limiting the spread of symptomatic COVID-19, the disease caused by the virus. I think this should basically end any scientific debate about whether masks can be effective in combating COVID at the population level. Jason Abluck, an economist at Yale who helped lead the study, said in an interview, calling it a nail in the coffin of the arguments against masks. And look, one of the key parts of this, it was a randomized trial with a control, uh, which is the gold standard, and it's notoriously hard to do things in that way for something like masks. because. How do you set up the control? How do you make sure, you know, there are a lot of tricky things to do that. Most of the previous research on this has been sort of lab experiments. I referenced one last week uh, on, you know, different kinds of masks and their effectiveness at control, at protecting other people from the wearer. And that was, you know, basically a device that would squirt out droplets into the mask and they'd have another thing measuring how many escaped the mask and blah, blah, blah. Um, and most of the evidence on masks had been of that sort rather than uh, this kind of thing. Um, also, you know, you you see people doing comparisons of communities uh, based on their the presence or absence of a mask mandate. And the problem with that is you're confounding the presence of the mandate versus the compliance with the mandate and how good people are doing it. And also by the type of mask again, like a, uh, how much, how, what percentage is wearing cloth versus surgical versus something better, blah, blah, blah. Um, and this does surgical, which is better than cloth masks, but also, uh, cheaper and easier to wear uh, than the N95s and don't have to be as carefully fitted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it, it shows uh, it shows effectiveness for sort of the better for the middle of the line, right? For n- not the not the sort of homemade cloth, uh, but also not sort of the professional grade N95s. Um, and and so look, this you know, the, the anti-mask people kept saying, where's the randomized control trial? Well, here you are, you know, it's not just sort of modeling. It's not just looking back at whatever it's, it's an actual 
full scale test at volume. Um, and you know, look, when, when you sort of start putting this to, well, what does this mean for policy? What does it mean for whatever? Now that's where it gets hard, you know, cause where does the mandate come in versus wearing like this study, uh, for instance, actually didn't just say, um, Okay, look, there were a couple groups. There were villagers that were in a in an intervention group that were encouraged to use masks. There were others in a control group where they made no such encouragements. So it wasn't a, a mandate. It was it was just an encouragement. But they also had people in you know assessing the level of actual mask wearing and physical distancing through direct observations and such at various public places around these communities so they were measuring the actual mask usage not just whether or not there was a mandate because i think that's one of the things that you know has made it really hard to pull apart all of these patterns when you're looking you know, when people do things like, you know, compare state A to state B or whatever, just based on the, what the policy was, uh, is because lots of people weren't following the policy. Uh, and even the people who were following the policy weren't all that great at it and weren't consistent. And you got the people wearing the mask under their nose and, and, uh, or the people who wore their mask at the grocery store, but not when visiting their family or whatever. Um, so anyway, it, I think the, the the evidence is clear on masks, uh, and you know it's a subtle picture, right? It is the better the mask, the better protection, both for you and the people around you, and for spread. Um, I think the fundamental key in like this kind of study is it was on population effects of like if you have a certain percentage of people wearing masks, what's the effect on the spread of the disease over a large population? It's not talking about either, you know, the protection to me personally, if I wear a mask or the protection to the person in front of me, if I'm wearing the mask and I'm infected, it's talking about the population effects because a lot of what we see here is the cumulative effect. If you only are looking in isolation, the sort of the effects between two people and one of them's wearing a mask and one of them's not, and one of them's infected and one of them's not, you're missing the big picture. Cause this is all really about how, how the intervention scales at the population level. And I think this is one of the problems that especially in this country, and well, I shouldn't say especially in this country, in lots of places, we've had this problem because there's this, pernicious thing that the actions are about individual protection that, and, and actually the, I, I, I use the word, but I realized I I'm, I'm quoting the guy uh, in the article. It's uh Gostin said the research also pushed back on the pernicious idea that masks were only for individual protection. Masking is a population based blanket that we have to get widespread adoption of. Uh, and, and I think this is this is key to everything, and this is where I've talked about the tragedy of the commons before, because on an individual risk assessment basis, it may very well be that for you personally, wearing the mask is more of a pain than it is for help. If Once you factor in your own personal risk levels and blah, 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 whether or not you're vaccinated, whether or not you have pre-existing conditions, whatever. But that's not the point. The point is, if you get enough of adoption across everybody, that you 
suppress spread overall. It's not just about protecting individuals. And if you think about it that way, you will fail to take the action that's necessary to help the population at large. Um, and yeah, th th this study again points out that, uh, uh, you know, at least with surgical masks, there's a clear positive effect. Um, and they point out, you know, like the, the amount of reduction, uh, you know, if, if you compared, let's see, where was it? Da, 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 da. What they found was a couple things, uh, just pointing to some of the specific results. One, the mask wearing encouragement that they did only increased mask wearing from 13% to 42%. They, they didn't even get it over 50%. But, you know, 13 to 42 is not nothing. And that was enough to make a, 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 a I'm looking for the specific number. Um, there we go. Um, the mask wearing increased by 28.8%. That group saw a 9% reduction in, in systematic COVID-19, uh, where it was confirmed by blood work, and a, and a further 12% reduction just on people with symptoms, whether or not it was confirmed. So even though they didn't get mask wearing above 50%, even though it was still, you know, not everybody, there was a significant reduction in symptoms and spread and everything else. And that was with surgical masks. You could obviously do much better, you know, if you've had everybody in N95s. Now, N95s are harder and you, people get them wrong. And so surgical mask is probably the right compromise. Um, and they said, look, uh, another quote from the article, this, the 9.3% reduction in symptoms does not mean the masks are only 9.3% of effective. They say, I think a big error would be to read this study and say, oh, masks can only prevent 10% of systematic infections. Um, the number would probably be several times higher if it was universal, he said. And also it's about the spread and reducing the spread. Um, and so, yeah. And, and they did say also about, about cloth specifically, because this study was on surgical masks. So what about cloth? Um, it says, the authors found that cloth masks clearly reduced symptoms, but they can't reject the idea that unlike surgical masks, they may only have a small effect on systematic coronavirus infections. Um, and so, yeah, look, no question. It, I think the evidence is, is pretty clear at this point that just cloth is not where you want to be, especially in the world of Delta. Um, I would say at the bare minimum, you want cloth with filters, but probably you, you really want to be at least a surgical mask and arguably the surgical masks, you know, aren't, aren't even, you know, like the people who have trouble with cloth masks might be okay with surgical masks. I mean, so it's not like it's cloth. It, it, it's not, it's not like it's cloth or N95. And those are the only two options. The surgical mask is right there in the middle and it has shown proven effectiveness in a way that cloth, yeah, okay, less so. Cloth is not good enough. Sorry. It might have been good enough in the early days of this when the virus wasn't all that pre prevalent and, you know, we were in the first variant and blah, blah, blah. Certainly now in the days of Delta, no, cloth is not enough. Upgrade. Upgrade yourself. Um, but 
surgical masks. Surgical masks are still very good. N95s are even better. Uh, N95s, not only like the surgical, uh, you know, helps with spread overall. But if you're looking for actually protecting yourself, N95 is the way to go. So, okay. Um, I had two more things to talk about. Uh, we will take another break and I will be back to them in a little bit. Back after this. Hello. Hi. Um, uh, oh no. I have to be quick. Um, um, 21 CP. Oh no, um, 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 subscribe to Alex Umsla. Alex Umsla is better than, um, oh. Wait a minute. Oh. Then, um, it's way better. Um, Yes, and it's better. And I know I've already said this, but I need to say it again because it's so important. Um, this is important. Subscribe to Alex Umsla and forget Curmudgeon's Corner. Importance. Very important. Anyway, do you, do you, do you? Okay, I'm back. Uh, and, uh, well, after that last segment, I, I actually left again, did another campaign thing with my wife, um, got home, gave Alex some attention because I'd been not giving him attention between the campaign stuff and this recording. And, uh, then after that we ate and I fell asleep. And so it's, it's not actually Saturday anymore as I'm finishing this up, uh, uh, but it's it's still the Saturday version of Curmudgeon's Corner, because that's when I started the recording. Okay? Okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, so anyway, uh, this is still the Saturday, September 4th edition, but uh, yeah, as I'm recording this, it's already the... Um, anyway, um, regardless of all that, uh, just a couple thoughts that came to mind, uh, on the last topic before I move on. Um, one, I talked about how, uh, masks, uh, thought about properly is not personal protection. It's not even protection for the people you come in contact with if you're infected, but it's a, it's a population protection measure. And that's how we really should be measuring effectiveness and everything else. And there was that one study about that just to point out the exact same thing is of course true of vaccines. Yes, they protect you. And although it looks like it's a little bit less true with Delta, they also do a little bit of protecting uh, others in terms of making you less infectious. Uh, again, less true with Delta than it was with earlier um, variants. Um, but the real top line value is on the population effects. Uh, it's if you have enough people vaccinated, you end up starving the virus of places where it can spread and you slow down the spread. And ideally you bring that R zero down, uh, to the point where you it's declining <laughs> instead of going up. Um, and so, yes, the, in all of these cases, I think the, the big disconnect in all of these conversations is, you know, I know people want to know everything in terms of the, the, 
the benefit or lack thereof to themselves individually in a one-to-one encounter or whatever. But what really matters in terms of the overall pandemic are these population effects. And that's where you need to be measuring it and looking at it and all of this stuff. And the the fact that the messaging has been all over the place on this um, is frustrating. Because I know on the one hand, there's a certain group of people who will not do anything unless it is specifically beneficial to them. But the real benefit from all of these interventions and all of these is the population effects. Uh, you you can have something that's a marginal benefit to an individual, but when you multiply it over 90% of the population doing it has a very significant effect on the population at large. Um, and so it's the population effects you need to care about. Anyway, uh, also, when I was talking about different quality of masks, uh, I realized I, I forgot sort of one. I talked about uh, cloth masks, cloth masks with filters, medical masks, N95s, etc. Uh, the other one that was out there a lot uh, was multi-layered cloth masks. Um, and they, it, it just all fits in a spectrum, right? I think the multi-layered cloth masks are about where the filtered ones are. Depends on the number of layers, depends on quality. All of that kind of stuff. And basically the bottom line is anything is better than nothing, but the higher quality mask, the more protection there is for you personally, the more protection there is for the people around you and the greater the population effects. So of course, yes, you want to do the highest level, the highest quality mask that you can get your hands on and that you can tolerate. Anyway, uh, yeah. And I think... Again, the the messaging, you know, the f- the fact that at the very least single layer cloth masks weren't good enough and you needed to go to multi-layer or filtered cloth masks has been around a long long time. Now with Delta and everything else, I think it's become clear with the additional research that you know, you really want at least the surgical grade mask. Um uh but, you know, and N95, if you're going somewhere really risky. Personally, where I am right now is if I am outdoors and people are well-spaced, I won't wear a mask at all. If there's, you know, and if there's good circul- air circulation, like if, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a breeze and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, if people are crowded up together um, outside, I'll put on uh, a cloth mask uh, with filter. Cloth mask with filter at least. Um and then if I'm going indoors, uh, it's N95 every time. Uh, N9- N95, uh, and then I wear a cloth mask over the N95 because I think it looks a little bit better, but that extra layer is not for protection. It's just because the N95s are a little bit, you know, I don't know. I just don't like the look of them. So I, I put the cloth mask over it. Um, that's where I am personally. And, and that's as a vaccinated person, but a vaccinated person with a high-risk unvaccinated under 12 year old in the house. Um, and, uh, as soon as the under 12 year old, uh, is fully vaccinated, uh, because he's turning 12 on uh, September 12th. So coming up really soon, uh, we will, um, 
uh, you know, reevaluate sort of what level of protection, but I'll be honest, I'll still be relatively conservative until this thing is gone. You know, I find no problem whatsoever wearing the masks. And so I will wear them anywhere I feel, uh, you know, is appropriate. Um, and certainly I will continue to remain uncomfortable, uh, you know, you know, in an, in an, if I'm in an indoor setting and I see lots of unmasked people, I'm first of all, I'm wearing my N95, but I'm still getting out of there as soon as I can. Cause I'm like, what the hell, what are you doing people? Uh, anyway, uh, cause I don't know which one of them are vaccinated, which ones are not, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway. Uh, okay. Uh, two other things real quick. And I, I, I hope I actually mean real quick and I'm a little frustrated. My little timer here that I've been using has stopped working. I tried changing the batteries because sometimes that has helped, but I think it's, I think it's dead. I may have to get another one there. Uh, you heard it beep, but that was me making it beep. Uh, anyway, <laughs> tangent, sorry. Uh, I just wanted to sort of talk about Afghanistan again, um, because, you know, since our last episode, uh, the evacuation uh, was completed. The U.S. forces are out of the country. Um, and, you know, I had said, you know, after that uh, explosion that, you know, the next few days are potentially going to be rough. And, you know, hopefully this is the worst thing that happens and it'll get uh, it'll get better. But I'm not optimistic. We may be in for a rough few days. We weren't. Uh, the next few days went pretty smoothly and, uh, you know, the remaining Americans got out and, uh, there were no additional big events like that. Um, there was, uh, an unfortunate event where the, the, the U S, uh, blew up uh, a vehicle that was coming that they had intelligence was full of explosives, uh, and was heading to the airport to try to make another attack. Um, but when the U S blew up the truck, the explosive, I think it was a truck, car, truck, whatever. Um, when they blew up the vehicle, all of the explosives that were loaded into it blew up as well above and beyond, you know, the, the ordinance that the U S dropped on it. Uh, and so, uh, you know, in the resulting even larger explosion, uh, apparently we, we killed a bunch of innocent people who were just bystanders at that point, uh, including a bunch of kids, uh, and you, that's always heartbreaking. Um, and you know, it's yet another reason why it, it's, it's good to be sort of done for now. Although done is in quotes, we're still sort of doing over the horizon stuff. Um, and so we'll undoubtedly continue to be droning Afghanistan, uh, including, uh, the deaths of innocent civilians who happen to get in the way, um, for years to come, you know, cause we're never really out, um, anywhere, you know, but, uh, uh, so that's continuing. Um, the other thing to note, uh, is, uh, you know, I, I made a comment on our Commudgeons Corner Slack, uh, right after the Americans were completely out. And I say completely out, I'm sure there's like, you know, top secret undercover stealth presence in some place or another. There always is. Right. Um, but in any case, uh, I made a comment under Commudgeons Corner Slack right after, uh, the U S withdrawal was complete. Um, 
saying, you know, if the Taliban was smart here for PR purposes, they would get the airport open within a day or two and reiterate that if you've got a you've if you've got your paperwork in order, you've got a visa, you've got a a, a plane ticket on a commercial flight and you've got a place willing to take you, we're not going to stop you. We you can go wherever you want to go. Um because, you know, ultimately, like if they wanted to sort of put egg on the face of everybody who was uh, engaged in these desperate evacuations over the last few weeks, they would just let commercial flights resume and let people who want to leave leave without obstructing them in any way. Um, now, since then, they apparently have reopened the airport in Kabul, um, mostly to flights inside Afghanistan, though. Um, but apparently they are still, the, the, the Taliban is not doing the second half of that and just letting any, everybody who wants to go, go. Um, they're working towards resuming regular commercial flights, but I just saw something about a charter flight to, uh, one of the, uh, one of the airports elsewhere in Afghanistan, in Northern Afghanistan, uh, where there's a charter flight, uh, that's trying to get a whole bunch of people out, including some Americans who are left there. Um, and the Taliban is holding them up saying they can't quite leave quite yet. Um, it, it's unclear exactly the situation. I only saw one Twitter thread on it. Uh, that, that Twitter thread implied that they're trying to negotiate to get a little bit more of the Amer out of the Americans before they let this flight go. Um, but they're not just saying, Wide open. Hey, anybody wants to go, go. We're not stopping you. Um, you continue to see scattered uh, reports of, uh, you know, of of the Taliban executing uh, uh, one person or another. The latest I saw earlier today was uh, uh, them killing a, a, a female police officer. Um, I don't know. What we have to watch over the next few months is sort of how things play out. Um that we're in, you know, the, the transition periods are always really rough. Uh, we'll see what happens once things sort of stabilize a bit. Um, I'm not super optimistic that, you know, I mean, the, the Taliban does not have a great record. And I was seeing uh, something earlier uh, this week where um, I believe it was Christian Amanpour on CNN uh, was replaying some interviews she did with the Taliban when they first took over, um, you know, the first time, <laughs> you know, way back in, uh, uh, where you know, the late 1990s, whenever it was. And they made a lot of the same promises that you're hearing them say now in terms of, you know, w you know, of course we'll be good to the women. Of course we'll allow this. Of course we'll allow that. And then they didn't. Um, and, you know, so whatever talk of sort of the new Taliban or Taliban 2.0 or, you know, whatever, um, as usual, it's watch what they do, not what they say, uh, and we'll see what happens. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, not likely to be great, but we'll find out. Uh, and meanwhile, in terms of the U S and political implications, uh, we'll see just how fast this sort of disappears from the public consciousness. 
Uh, and it depends on what ends up happening on the ground on in Afghanistan and how much publicity that gets um, and whether or not you have you know new terrorist attacks from Afghanistan. Um, but I suspect uh, that as Yvonne and I have said in recent episodes, this is like everything else. The American attention span is very, very short. And, you know, we're probably not going to be hearing much about Afghanistan a month from now, let alone next November or, or, or November 2024. We shall see. And finally, we had Hurricane Ida coming in up through Louisiana, straight across the center of the country. Center? It wasn't really the center, sort of. But diagonally across the, you know, you know, from Louisiana to New York, it went up through there, uh, and, uh, did, uh, you know, did a number on Louisiana, but missed, uh, a sort of the direct hit on New Orleans and New Orleans, uh, um, the levees held or whatever, they lost power. Um, so we haven't heard as much about Louisiana, uh, because the main places where it really devastated things were the less populated areas. Um, but you know, there are parts of Louisiana that are a huge mess. Um, but then we started hearing, then it hit New York. And of course, cause you know, the national media lives in New York. Uh, we heard tons and tons about that. And there were quite a few deaths in New York, lots of people trapped in basement apartments. Um, and, and, you know, subways flooding and all of this kind of thing, um, which, of course, led to talk about, you know, climate change and reinforcing structures. And, you know, like instead of because the way we're set up for the most part uh, in a lot of these situations is after a natural disaster like this, you assume it's really rare. You clean up, you un you fix the damage and then you go about just the way you were. Um, but there's more talk of, Hey, let's, while we're building back to use sort of the Biden phrase, why don't we build back better? You know, let's make sure that we're adding the additional protections that sort of recognize, Hey, you know, maybe this kind of thing is something that we should protect against because it's going to be happening more frequently. So as an example of that, after Katrina, the, the levees and such were reinforced to a higher level than they had been before. Uh, and at least some people have said that's what saved them this time. That if they'd had the same level of protection they had when Katrina hit, we would have seen a lot of the same problems we had when we ha when Katrina hit. But they had reinforced things, made them taller, made them stronger, etc. Um, and, and and you know, so is that what has to happen in New York and other you know vulnerable places all over the place? Uh, you know, when you're when we're building in California, do we have to just take into account the fact that, uh, there's, yeah, there are going to be more fires. Uh, and so how, what do you have to do to build in such a way to as much as possible, uh, protect where you are building, uh, against that. Uh, 
etc. It, it seems only prudent to me. Like on the one hand, and this is you know sort of you know there's there's all of the climate change things about like if you really want to uh, stop or reverse the global trends, you have to do incredibly dramatic, rapid changes to human behavior. <laughs> you know, we you know and. And the political will just has not been there. There is change happening. There is, there is certainly change happening. People are moving to less use of, uh, of, of carbon fuels. You know, we're moving, slowly moving towards electric cars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, th there is movement there, but it is much slower than the amount of movement that the experts say is really required to stop things from getting a lot worse before they get better. We're already at the point, by the way, like, you know, if, if we went to worldwide net zero carbon right now, things would still get worse for a few decades before they'd start getting better just because of what's already been put into the air. Uh, so there's long-term effects everywhere, which again, yeah, same kind of tragedy of the commons we were talking about with max with masks and vaccines, uh, applies here too, because if you're doing a personal calculation of risk or whatever, uh, you're going to end up doing one set of things, but in order to have the global effects you need, you need to be thinking, uh, in a, at a population level, at a worldwide level. And people have a lot of trouble with that. Um, in any case, there's movement happening, but way too slow, which means regardless, like I said, even if we were perfect tomorrow, things are still going to get worse before they get better. So we have to be thinking of ways to mitigate and ways to just deal with it. Um, and, you know, given that, you know, we're going to have uh, higher sea levels, uh, more extreme temperatures, bigger storms, etc., what do we have to do infrastructure wise to better protect against those things? Uh, and, uh, you know, and if you look, uh, you know, Biden's infrastructure bill includes some stuff along those lines. Most of it is in that second re reconciliation bit. Uh, but, uh, and we'll see what happens with that. But I think it's something that ha has to be thought of on, you know, a national level, a local level, a state level, all, all up and down. Uh, you know, people need to be thinking about this stuff now. And it's uh, the, the tendency, of course, is to only be reactive and not sort of anticipate the thing that could happen and and deal with it in advance. And I understand that. I mean, e even in the case of like, you know, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, myself and our house and maintenance and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it's, it's much easier to say, oh, okay, let's go spend money on this and fix it once something is a blatant problem than, you know, hey, we could in advance do this thing that would make it safer in the future because you've always got other competition for what to do with that money. Um, but, uh, at the very least, if, if we can't muster the ability to be completely proactive and sort of anticipate what's coming and build the protections and strengthen things in advance at the very least, when things fail or when we're doing routine maintenance anyway, there should be a policy of always making it better than it was before, not just bringing it back up to where it was, but make it better. 
uh, as you, uh, uh, you know, like, okay, everything got flooded. What do we have to do? Not just like mop it out and go on as if nothing happened. What do we, what do we have to do to put something in place to keep it from getting flooded next time? You know, uh, I don't know. Even that is hard sometimes because these things are expensive. And so, but in the long run, I mean, if you add it up, if you add up all of the money we spend reactively after there has been one of these natural disasters, it ends up costing more than it would have if you had put in the money to put in protections in advance. So if you really want to be smart financially, you don't just wait and react once something has gone wrong. And I'll, I'll, I'll add, this applies to everything. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is true of healthcare. It's a lot cheaper to deal with things preventively than to deal with problems after they occur. Um, you know, it, 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 it applies with, COVID in terms of vaccine versus treatments after you catch it, uh, it applies to pretty much everything, you know, it's why like, you know, and uh, we, we fail there too. Like, you know, for some reason, no one, the concentration is never on prevention. It's always on dealing with problems after they occur. It's, it's really annoying. And, and I admit there's a human psychology thing to it. It's true of me too. You know, I, I, I admit it. Um, but it's, it, it's certainly true of, of healthcare. It's true of, you know, cybersecurity things. Yvonne and I have talked about this before. Industry just keeps treating this as a, we'll deal with it when it happens rather than doing the prevention. And it certainly is true of infrastructure. Um, and, and anticipating, uh, anticipating climate change and other problems and how the, the stupid building collapse down in Florida the other day, completely preventable if they had taken the time to do the appropriate, uh, remediation efforts early, but no, they were like, Oh, it's going to cost a lot of money. Let's dither. Let's, we don't want to spend it, blah, 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 blah. And years and years go by and the building falls down. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think that's it. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's in the middle of the long Labor Day weekend as I'm finishing this recording. I'll have this episode out before the Labor Day weekend is completely over. Uh, probably, uh, well, I don't know. It's, it's these days, it's usually early Monday morning when I, when I put it out, I like, I like to have it out earlier. Like the, the notion is that there's an episode recorded every Sunday through Saturday week and that I try to get it out before the end of Saturday UTC, but I haven't actually made that before the end of Saturday UTC deadline in like a year. I don't know how long it's been. It's been forever. Uh, cause it sort of slipped from Saturday to Sunday and then from from Sunday night to early Monday morning before I have to go into work. Uh, so well, go into, it's all remote at the moment, but you know what I mean before I have to switch to work mode. Um, but, uh, anyway, we'll see. We'll see. I'll get it out tonight or tomorrow morning. Uh, anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, you know, and, uh, uh, 
Yeah. You know the usual stuff. Do I have to say it every time? You know, I, 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 I feel like sometimes I should just record this bit. Uh, I used to have some breaks in here that gave some of this information. But, uh, you know, people have said they like it said by by hand. You don't say things by hand, but you know what I mean. Um, anyway, uh, you can reach us on uh, Facebook. It's facebook.com slash curmudgeons corner. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at Abelsme, A-B-U-L-S-M-E. Yvonne is not here this week, but you can reach him on Twitter too. It's I-M-B-O, I-M-B-O-U. Uh, we would both love to hear from you. If you prefer email, it's feedback at curmudgeons corner.com. Uh, and uh, we'd, we'd love to talk to you. We, we love the feedback. We love to go back and forth. Uh, if you really like the show, you can find our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash curmudgeons corner, uh, where you can leave us uh, a little tip. Uh, and we, you know, we, we use that, uh, for little expenses of the show. We've recently upgraded, uh, Yvonne's microphone setup. Uh, once every few years, uh, we've done sort of a curmudgeon's corner meetup. Well, we've only done one really, uh, but we'll do another one someday after the pandemic is all calmed down and all this kind of stuff. We'll do another one. And the Patreon money helps with that as well. Um, and uh, at two dollars a month, oh, hey, I should mention. Yeah, I was going to mention the Patreon, the, the 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 Slack at two dollars a month or more, and I will in a second. But you can get other things too. We'll mention you on the show. We'll ring a bell. We'll uh, send you a mug. I, you know, I need to replace my own Curmudgeon's Corner mug. The one I have has a little crack, so I sort of took it out of rotation for actual use, and I just have it up on a shelf. Um, so I should get another one to actually use uh, for myself. But anyway, you can get a mug. You can get all kinds of stuff. And uh, like I alluded to earlier, at $2 a month or more, or if you just talk to us in all of the other ways I talked about, uh, you will get invited to our Curmudgeon's Corner Slack, which is a chat room where Yvonne and I and a bunch of our listeners are chatting throughout the week, sharing leak, sharing leaks, not leaks, sharing links, <laughs> you know, and talking about the news of the day. Um, uh, if you had been on our Curmudgeon's Corner Slack, the most recent thing is, uh, you know, a, you know, just before I started recording this last bit, um, Yvonne and Bob and Kathy were discussing uh, September 11th and where they were when that happened. The the anniversary is coming up in a few days, um, and what their initial thoughts were when it happened and things like that. And going to you know, Kathy had gone to one of the memorials there and uh, and how it felt uh, and you know what what it felt like the days afterwards with no planes in the sky. Bob was talking about that a bit. Um, you know, so yeah, you got this kind of thing and we've got a, you know, sharing links as well. We've got, um, uh, a lot of talk about, uh, the, the Texas thing. Uh, we've got some talk about, um, some hospitals in certain areas of the country are no longer able to restrict visitors from coming into the wards, uh, for COVID patients. Uh, which of course was a major problem before you had people in, you know, the, the families weren't able to visit and that caused lots of stress. And you had these like people saying goodbye versus via zoom and FaceTime and things like that. And that was all horrible, but apparently now the families are coming in and they're 
not following safety protocols. They're refusing to wear masks, even in a COVID ward. Where they're surrounded by COVID positive people who are have a bad enough situation that they are in the hospital or even in the ICU and the the you know the the nurses are complaining about family members coming in and messing with the equipment and taking off their masks and doing this and doing that it, it, even like sneaking in ivermycin and uh, or however you say that and and trying to give it to them uh you know secretly because the doctors won't give it to the patients because they've they're treating them the proper way and giving them the right medicines and that is not actually recommended um, you know, so all kinds of stuff like that. Anyway, you know, and, uh, let's see what else, anything else on here? Uh, Yvonne noted that Willard Scott, the longtime weatherman for the Today Show died at age 87. Uh, we've talked about, uh, you know, all kinds of other things, all kinds of other things. Uh, good conversation, both on, um, I, I guess most of what I mentioned was serious topics. Oops. Um, we do have, uh, some, uh, some other things. Uh, our listener Greg shared a picture of uh, a puppy. Uh, we've had, uh, um, you know, so some stuff about uh, uh, Richard Branson's uh, Virgin Galactic flight a while back. Turns out there was a bit of a problem on it, uh, and the FAA uh, has grounded them pending investigation uh, because they didn't quite follow the rules on that flight, and they're. Uh, you know, they got home safely, but there may have been a few things that happened that should not have happened on that flight. You know, all kinds of stuff. We have good discussions. Anyway, that is it. Uh, thank you for joining us. You probably won't listen to this before the end of the Labor Day weekend, or maybe at the very trail end of it, but hope you had a good Labor Day weekend. If there is anything left of it, enjoy the remainder. And um, yeah, have a great week. We'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.